it's a very anxious time and you want to get things right from the very start and rifling through bags at 2am in the morning telling your birth support partner that you need a black singlet or a maternity bra and they go through the whole bag and chuck everything out it just adds to that tension Hello and welcome to Smart Online Marketing, where I chat to switched on entrepreneurs and experts to chat about smart strategies to build your business in a profitable and sustainable way. My name is Katie Griffin and I am in the digital marketing game. I specialize in Google ads and I've worked one-on-one with clients such as Showpost, Homework Allure and Snuggle Honey Kids. And I also have my own course teaching small businesses how to grow profitably using Google ads. If we haven't met before, I'm a kombucha-loving Real Housewives apologist alongside my love of all things pop culture, and yes, that does include the Kardashians. I'm a mum of two, a self-confessed hippie at heart with a love of all things business. On today's episode, I have my lovely and dear friend, Sally, who is an e-commerce owner. In late 2019, she launched a brand called The Sweet Set because she had two babies 19 months apart. And she was really inspired to help other mums and families transition to motherhood or have their second baby or their third baby in a seamless and more streamlined way. So she found the process of packing hospital bags really, really confusing. There was a lot of conflicting advice. And then when she went into hospital and she needed something, she had to rifle through her entire bag. So she decided this has got to change and she wanted to help other mums become really prepared. So they have BPA-free, clearly labelled packing bags with detailed colour-coordinated instructions on how and what to pack. And that was originally the business. But then Sally and her love of collating knowledge and sharing and disseminating that information from really trusted, reputable sources, she now provides a lot of information to mums and her community about how to navigate, particularly during this time, navigate the COVID space, but also just providing support and expert opinion from people that are going to help new mums with the transition of motherhood. So let's welcome Sally to the show. Okay, Sally, my dear, dear Sally, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Katie, it is such a pleasure to be with you. Long overdue. I've been begging you to come on, but you've been too busy for me. Oh, rubbish. The thing is, we're going to have a face-to-face catch-up, but now we're doing it online. So I'm so proud of us for getting it done. I know. Now, can you tell everyone, who is Sally? What do you do? And what did you do before you're doing what you're doing now? Okay, so I am the founder of The Sweet Sesh and it's sweet, S-U-I-T-E, as in birth sweet, because we manufacture packing bags for hospitals. So before someone goes in to have a baby in hospital, it can be very overwhelming and daunting. So we manufacture BPA-free, recyclable, reusable, made in Australia packing bags. So they're like a Ziploc bag, but they're a much thicker weight and they're labelled and they come with the ultimate instruction list of how to pack a hospital bag because it is overwhelming you're not sure what to take or how many of each thing to take so our list lists it all and we've made the bags that fit those exact items and it just makes things more streamlined when you're going into hospital because it's chaotic but the bags are also a vehicle for our blog and our our social media presence which we're really trying to work on making a one-stop shop for information because there's so much out there so my background is actually in public affairs and politics and part of my role was always 
collating information and communicating it to other people. So I've used the skills from my past background into our little business by making sure that information is really easy to find. And on topics like what is tongue tie or why is a meningococcal vaccine important? So I take all the information from trusted sites and robust sites and I condense them and collate them into information that isn't overwhelming because our whole business model is about taking away overwhelm because it's such an overwhelming time when you first become a parent. Yeah, I think what you're doing is fantastic because like what you said, you're really good at collating reputable sources and information and then disseminating them to people that don't have the time or inclination to do that research. And they also don't know where to look. And I think Mm. that when I had my first baby over five years ago now, I think you reach this point where you're like, so many people are telling me so much conflicting information. I need one trusted source to go to. And it can be really difficult to find out who that trusted or a couple of trusted sources. So I always recommend to my girlfriends when they're becoming new mums is like, ask a couple of friends, but don't ask everyone for their opinion, because you'll get different advice from everyone and you'll end up confused, overwhelmed, anxious, and it does nothing for your mental health or the health of you and your baby's relationship. That is so true. Yeah. So, I mean, just backstepping before we get down to that road, because I'm so interested to see whether that was always a priority of yours to become that source of information. But before that, how did you recognize that there was this gap in the market in terms of that as a product? And what steps did you take to then build a business around it? Okay, so it was through user experience. So I became a mum later on in life and after I'd had a very high profile, high profile but behind the scenes role. So I was very focused on doing the right thing and being organized and having all the right information. But I found it overwhelming. And to be honest, when we packed for our firstborn particularly, we were in a lovely birth suite at a lovely private hospital, but there was chaos. Like there was crap from one end of the room to the next and those things like at 2 o'clock in the morning for your listeners who've given birth to a baby when you've got your milk coming in and you're looking for maternity pads and things are quite, I wouldn't say tense, but It's a very anxious time and you want to get things right from the very start and rifling through bags at 2am in the morning, telling your birth support partner that you need a black singlet or a maternity bra and they go through the whole bag and chuck everything out. It just adds to that tension. So we had that experience that we found it very hard to keep our birth suite organized and it just added a layer of of chaos. I did so much research into what to pack in my hospital bag and I got a lot of conflicting advice and a lot of the stuff was actually a lot of the ultimate packing lists are made by companies who are selling a product for mums so they're by you know an ointment company or a laxative company or baby clothes. I know there's an Australian baby clothes brand that do a workshop on how to pack your hospital bag, but it's all geared towards their product and you need to buy product with purchase and things like that. So I want to just that one source of information. So we started talking about it and then we quickly had a second child. And before Fenton was born, I made my own Ziploc bags. I've just bought a variety of sizes from a local hospitality store down the road and I just got masking tape and I wrote on them and and did texture and made these sort of hodgepodge prototypes 
And it just made things so much easier. It wasn't pretty and, you know, it wasn't what I wanted for the hospital bag, but it just made it easier. So we discussed that there was a need for information in the market from a trusted source, but also it was a product that we wanted to be BPA-free, hospital-grade product. So we had the idea very clear in our mind. It was just then the process of manufacturing. And that itself is a very detailed process. You think that making plastic bags would be quite easy or you can buy Ziplocs for, you know, $2.95 at Coles. But we were very clear that we wanted the bags to be Australian made, very clear that they had to be BPA-free and recyclable and reusable. The original prototype, I actually hand-sewed fabric bags, but it's not hospital grade. There's a lot of bodily fluids in a birth suite, so it had to be something that you could wipe down, keep clean, and also keep the contents clean and safe. And also you can't see through fabric as well as you can through plastic. So the manufacturing was a really, really long and arduous process. It took easily a year of research every day into it. And I did investigate overseas options, but in the end I felt really strongly about wanting to support Australian business, so that's what we did. I was the woman schlepping at the International Plastics Fair at the Melbourne Convention Centre with a six-month-old and a 20 five-month-old in a double pram visiting all like oh god Sally's on her way oh my god and the funniest thing is I was one of the only females in the entire convention center let alone with two kids and I had to get around the exhibition center before one of them fell asleep so you know bananas in one hand and (laughs) I was guzzling coffee in the other hand so all of those research that was a really steep learning curve for me science has never been my forte And to understand the science of how to manufacture a plastic bag was a really steep learning curve for me. I'm a communicator and I'm a connector and I'm a people person. I'm not a science chemical makeup person. So it was a really big learning curve, but one that now I feel really comfortable. I'm really happy that I've done much like I've learned to code on my webpage, which is something that two years ago, I had absolutely no interest in anything back end. I was all very behind the scenes but front end and they're all really good learnings that you know e-commerce and small business have to get on board with fast particularly if you're running a very lean operation like ours is we funded the suite set through savings and it was either renovate a bathroom or put the money into manufacturing the bags you can't just get five bags manufactured you need to get them manufactured in some serious quantity so it's a serious financial outlay and um you know, if we were on a visual medium, I'd spit in the laptop around so you could see the boxes of plastic bags I've got at my feet. But that sort of financial consideration means that our business is very lean because it was bathroom in the middle of winter with two babies who needed a bath every night or put the money into the business. And we put the money in the business and we took the boys to my mother-in-law's for a bath every night. So it's those sort of business decisions that when you have a slow week of sales, you think, oh, my God, was it worth it for slapping the kids yeah. to, in the cold to baths? But I think that the relationships that we're developing with the Sweet Set online community really are worth it to see that we're having a real impact, not through just the product, but also through the information that we're giving to our communities. And I have to say, in all of our sales, all of our customers, we haven't had any negative feedback about the bags that it's all been wholly, wholly positive and that particularly for second-time parents or third-time or fourth-time, even we've had someone who's a sixth-time mother, 
that they are life-changing in I know it seems like such a small thing but actually to feel that calm and relaxed and take one worry off your shoulder when you're in a birth suite means a lot to a lot of people. I think that you can't underestimate anything that you can have under your control in that situation is a game changer because you feel so out of control with a lot of other aspects. You're in this foreign environment. You don't have your creature comforts. Your life has just had a huge shift in that you have either become a first-time mum or a second or a third-time mum. And any sort of sense of normalcy or control or just order is hugely appreciated. So I think that yeah, like you said, you can't underestimate it. I do want to go back to when you're talking about, first of all, I would like to say that you should have just chosen not to bath your kids. That would have been my personal decision because I'm not <laughs> committed enough to schlep to my mother-in-law's. I would, my firstborn, I hope she never listens to this, but she flatly refused to get in any type of water for a number of months. And it was only swimming once a week that she would rinse off under the chlorine. And then we finally figured it out. This happened for a number of months, too long that I'm embarrassed to say, but we finally figured it out. She just was getting cold after she hopped out of the bath. And so we were like, sweetie, we'll just wrap a towel around you. That's what we do. And she was like, and that was all. She just needed us to reassure her that she was going to be warm. So that's my level of hygiene with my kids. Oh, look, Heidi, we spoke yesterday and admitted to you that I um, had forgotten to feed my children lunch for two days in a row. I wondered why they were so hungry at dinner time. They're both communicators, so they can tell me when they're hungry, but i just completely forgotten. I thought, oh, we're having a lot of snacks and a really big dinner tonight. Yeah, no, I don't see a problem with that. I would like to know whether the information side of your business was always a priority or whether it happened quite organically. Like you are someone that provides a wealth of knowledge. You are always doing Instagram lives with experts, whether that be people that, you know, doctors or pediatricians, you know, information in the space that you can give your community, I think you do such a great job at. Was that something that you wanted to focus on at the beginning or did it happen that you thought, hey, there's actually a space here that I need to complement the product side with the information side? The latter, which is interesting, I think because I actually plan the business. So to step back before I had children, the month before I had my first son. So I ran a federal election campaign at 30 weeks pregnant. I got married at like 34 weeks pregnant. And, you know, I was going to board meetings beforehand and I felt so strongly that I was going to be back at work really quickly after I had my first child. I'm very involved in my work. My work was very much my life for a very long time. My identity revolved around my work to a very large degree. And I had spent a lot of my work time prior to having children trying to make sure that politics was a very family-friendly environment because I believe that if you're writing policy, you should have lived experiences in that policy and politics should be representative of our community. So I worked very hard to make the workplace that I controlled very family-friendly and very flexible. And then when I had my child, I couldn't make it work for me at the level that I was at. And that was heartbreaking for me and such a massive ego thing as well. It took me a lot to grieve around that. But I actually really loved the transition to becoming a mum and newborns. I really loved that newborn stage. So I got such a shock that actually I felt like I had to choose between work and family and it was a hard decision. But in the back of my mind, I had this little idea and I was on maternity leave, so I was able to do it. But it was only an idea of a product at that stage. And then once we had the web page up and running, I always knew I wanted to do a journal or a blog and 
and ask some questions. And I've got a background in PR and media in, through my public affairs background. And so I thought, oh, you know, I've got some people I'd like to ask some questions on. I'd like to share that information. But I actually had no idea the extent of the information sharing or how much that would become part of the brand and the brand DNA. So from the very onset, I wanted the brand DNA to be about to have a philanthropic element. So we donate a dollar from every sale to a charity. So not a dollar from, it's not built into the cost of the product. It's a dollar from our profit for each sale goes to one of three maternal health charities. So I knew that from the start. So that was an element to the business's identity that I felt very strongly about. The information, not as much, and that has grown quite organically. And it has expanded more now that we're in this COVID-19 situation. So the business, people talk about the pivot that businesses have had to do in COVID. My pivot is less of an actual pivot and more of a stepping up the information and providing a lot of free information and a lot of free downloads and also some online learnings for pregnant women before they go in to give birth. So the service element has really ramped up rather than just being about a product. And how do you plan or how does that complement monetarily for you? How can you get revenue from that? At the moment, I suppose it will be about, I always thought that perhaps I wanted to do some sort of online course and monetize that. When the time came to launch the online course, it was called Peace Be With You and it's 14 days of emails around different ways to feel peaceful before a baby arrives. And that's not just about learning a simple meditation technique. That's about making sure, you know, your house is in order, your technology's right so you can do FaceTimes with your family, all of those things, so tiny little steps to bring organisation, which then brings calm, all very simple, very manageable. So I turned that around in three days, that 14-day course, and wrote all the content over a week. Yep. And ideally in the future that will be something that I monetize. Like I was looking going, oh, my God, this content's excellent. But for me the element of service trumped the element of needing to make money in this time. I really wanted to serve. But the reality is the business needs to start making more money. And at the moment, everything is just organic. I've done obviously some Google ads, but no influence, uh, influence, I can't even say it. Influencer marketing? No, Kate, Kate, influencer marketing. What about me? Oh, so I've got a background in communications and I can't even speak. Um, So I've done none of that and I've done no traditional PR campaign around it, which is ironic because I worked six months in one of Melbourne's best PR firms as their commercial manager. But to be honest, it's just around finding that time. But for me, the service element is about building a community and it's about building people who have a real care and loyalty, affection and tie to the brand so that when the time comes for them to pack their hospital bag or to buy a baby shower present or to buy a water bottle or a candle specifically made for mums or to buy some moisturiser specifically made for mums because we've got some value-add product which we decided that we, we should really put on the site rather than just having plastic bags. Plastic bags don't look very sexy but Interestingly enough, it's been the plastic bags. It's been that single hero item that that really sell the most. Yeah, right. So for me, the challenge is really stepping up the monetization of the information. And getting your product out to the public, what's been the way that you've been able to develop that niche and organically market yourself or market the sweet set? 
all word of mouth. So once yeah. a mum uses it, it's funny. I've, it's sort of like, you know, we hear about clusters at the moment and, you know, a mum from Yarrawonga will buy it and then a month later I'll have seven other mums from Yarrawonga buy something. So it's very much the word of mouth and very much groups of pregnant women talking to each other. So I actually do have a, a PR strategy in place. I just haven't pulled the trigger on it because the reality is that it's a business that's been run in children's nap times up until now. Yeah. And now I've got some more freedom with my time during the day. So I'm ramping up what we're doing with the business. I want to touch back on what you were saying about that grief surrounding the shift in your career identity. And I think that's not often talked about a whole heap because I, for one, had a huge grief when it came to friendships after I became a mum because I was the first of my friends to have a baby and I was only 26 and that was a good good four to five years younger than before my friends started to enter that stage. And there's this grief where you go through this, I'm losing my former identity, I can't do those catch-ups anymore because I can't get there or I don't have the same lifestyle as my friends anymore. And there's that grief that comes along with that. When there's career grief and you've tied your, like you're someone that takes a lot of pride in in what they do and, and the change that they're making, how do you process that once you are a new mom and then becoming a business owner? So I think if anyone was analysing this, it's quite easy if you look at the business progression that, and if you know me, I got a lot of significance through my achievement of helping others and other people's success in my career And I've actually just switched that from being responsible for the success of some politicians to trying to be responsible for the success of new mothers in their transition. So that's one way that I've dealt with that by serving. So my career was always based on a level of service, but in any career and with a personality like mine, ego plays a really big role in it and significance played a really big role in that for me. So the struggle with significance is still a big thing and I still find it a big thing now and I find it a big thing on social media and Instagram as well. I keep thinking, why is that person getting so much attention on Instagram and I'm not? Don't they realise my background? But that's just a really honest thing to say there, you know, in those big moments of ego. But for me, it was a real loss of, of ego and really working out what was most important thing for me. So just before I went on maternity leave. There were two articles in two of Australia's major papers about me. One was like a double-page spread in a broadsheet around changing the face of politics and women in leadership positions. And one was about 30 of the most influential women in the public space in Australia. So these were great articles. I felt very honoured to have them written about me. But those two articles put so much pressure and there was so much drama because I was so pleased with these articles that they were colouring my decision-making around not being able to go back to work. So I was like, yeah, but I'm one of like 30 most influential people in women in blah, blah, blah. Surely I can make this work, you know, or, you know, I'm changing the face of politics. Surely I can make this work. And for me, that was such, that was where so much sense of self, identity and that sadness and that grief came from 
because I was like, other people recognise this in me, but I can't make it happen and I need to live up to the expectations of this rather than be a stay-at-home mum. And I still consider myself, obviously I run a business, but I'm still a stay-at-home mum. We we have the boys at home all the time. And for me, the identity around what a stay-at-home mum was was really, really negative. My mother never stayed at home when I was born and so I'd never had that the example of that. And then to all of a sudden be a stay-at-home mum because I couldn't make my role work at the level that I wanted to work, that was an entire identity shift for me. So there was that real grief around not making that work. But I tried to make it work. So, you know, I was having board meetings when Magnus was a month old and that was fine. But then when I had to go into work and I was breastfeeding a five-month-old and catching a really early train into the city, working, and then getting so caught up in my work because I loved it so much that I'd get a message from Jonathan saying, it's seven o'clock at night, you need to come home. And, you know, rushing off the train, the train station in tears because I was like, oh my God, feeling guilty that I got caught up, so caught up in work, but also desperately missing this tiny little baby of mine and really needing to breastfeed. And so there was so much tied up in it. And in the end, I really had to make a decision around what was the best decision for my family. I'd been making decisions for 40 years about what was the best for me. And I suppose it's like any unit. So it could be a business unit or a community unit, or in this instance, it's our family unit. What was the best decision with my skills and with my position? What was the best decision for us? Financially, it would have been that I stayed at work. But on the whole for our our business, for our family unit, it was that I stayed at home because I was the primary caregiver of our son and I was the one breastfeeding. If I wasn't breastfeeding, it, it might have been a different situation. And the other consideration we had is that my husband had his own business as well. So he had flexibility around that. And that at that stage was bringing in more income for us. So there were so many decisions around that. But after being such an individual and so focused on making decisions for myself for 40 years, or probably not 40 years, but, you know, 34 years, since I was an early teenager, I've had to be very independent and because of my family situation. And so then when it came to making those decisions, I had to really make them for the best of our team. And that was a big deal for me as well. Loss of financial independence was a really big deal for me as well, which is one of the reasons why I decided to start my own business. Financial wasn't the prime consideration for starting my business. It was that there was a need that I felt that needed to be met and could be met. But, you know, there is an element of, wouldn't it be great to start your own business? And the ironic thing is I I did a bit of work in um, policy writing for women entrepreneurs and particularly mother entrepreneurs. And I used to meet with um, these women in Canberra and just have the most inspiring meetings. But I always thought, this will never be my life. Like I couldn't think of anything worse than, you know, wanting to be an entrepreneur and balancing and juggling a family and things like that. And then, oh, my God, holy shit, that's what I'm I'm doing and that's what I'm trying to do, which is fascinating that hindsight's such a beautiful thing that you can say, oh, this is my life now. And I have read a lot of research that has said that women, particularly in maternity leave, there is a space that opens up that is a creative space And so they are obviously problem solvers because they're problem solving every single day because every mother, no matter how much information you've got, needs to problem solve on a daily basis because every day is a new thing. 
So there is a problem-solving space that opens up. There's also a creative space that is cleared or is opened up when you're on maternity leave. So that is why there are so many entrepreneurs who've started businesses on maternity leave. I remember when I had my first daughter and I went back to, I'm someone that like you, I like a lot of, not, I'm not saying you like this, but I like a lot of pats on the head, being told that I'm doing a good mm. job, being getting that you recognition are, and an getting, job. <laughs> getting that external validation, you know, and, uh, and to go and have a baby kind of changes that because you're not necessarily seen from the outside to be doing anything spectacular. No, but it is spectacular. Oh, a hundred percent. And I remember going to mm. my, my school reunion and my teacher going, so what are you doing? You're obviously just a mum. And she skipped over, like it was a group of me and my friends standing there. And she was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And then she goes to me, oh, obviously you're just a mum. And I thought, that's how I'm seen now. I'm just a mum. And it kind of, what you're saying about having this identity kind of crisis, I think is so common. And the fact that you've been able to transfer that into a part of the service element of your business is to have resources and information for mums that are going through that new stage or or a stage again that can be really complex and overwhelming, I think matches your skill set perfectly. And I think there is, it is such a change, it's such an identity shift becoming a mum and I hope that our business can play a role in having conversations about that. I also feel there's a space to have conversations about what just a mum is as well because there is so much pressure on new mums and there is that ego thing, you know, I'm just a stay-at-home mum. But And those skills we devalue, I think, more and more and I think um, that's a very sad pendulum shift. So it's an interesting space. I never thought I'd be a stay-at-home mum and I never thought I'd start a business while I was a stay-at-home mum, but I really love it. I get it. It really juices me up. I lay awake at night thinking about, the things that Sally, we can come do. down. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. I think about the things that we can do and how we can serve more. And honestly, just, um, and most of my communication with our customers is Instagram. Instagram's our big platform. I know we don't use it. So we do weekly newsletters or fortnightly newsletters. And even that, you know, discovering what the best program is for my demographics been the fascinating process. And But the communication we have with these mums, I had someone text me the other day and asked me a question about tongue tie and I was like, well, let me write your post on tongue tie. So, and also I love planning as well. So I've got this spreadsheet that I've developed with, um, I got some advice from you, Katie. I also got some advice from Jessica, who's also been a podcast guest around spreadsheets. I've just done this massive spreadsheet and I feel so good about the information that we're sharing, but also that there's so much information. One thing for me that I've really had to get over is I'm not an expert. I'm not an obstetrician. I'm not a gynecologist. I'm not a prenatal or postnatal medical professional. So for me, I've really had to get over a real fear of, oh, I'm not the I haven't got a degree in this, so you know what's my qualification to write about it from the internet on the on the internet, on the interwebs. But <laughs> I've really got over that now. It's taken me a long time to do it. I think it's part of imposter syndrome, but it's also taken me a really long time to get over because I'm like, there's so much crap on the internet anyway. I've got the skills to decept, to take in information, write it in a way that's understandable, and disseminate it. And make sure it's robust, make sure the sources are are really rigorous and robust and have significant scientific and medical backing and then share it with people in a really digestible form. So 
that makes my skills and my information and my knowledge appropriate to be sharing on the internet. And I just think, you know, it's better that than some of the crap that's going out there on the internet. Part of um, one of the courses that I do around this um, this piece be with you is that you can manage your media intake. So particularly if you're feeling overwhelmed by COVID and by the current environment, that, you know, pick one or two trusted news sources and then go through your social media and just delete everyone who is talking rubbish, talking nonsense, or makes you feel bad about yourself. Just go and delete them. They don't, you know, just get rid of them in your life because it's something that you can control and it's something that can bring you peace in a really fast way. So, you know, that's one thing I think about. There's so much crap going around on social media that um, it's good to be a trusted voice. And so we're getting that feedback from our mums that it's easily digestible and that it's trusted. One thing that we did was, um, when I say we, it's me with my husband looking after the boys. Um, one thing that I did. <laughs> and was I always put, say that I'm like, we, and then I'm like, we, we did nothing. It was all me. <laughs> my I think it's just a women. Uh, I know. I think it's just a, a female thing that isn't it? we don't want to give ourselves the sole credit. Well, isn't it? And that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Mm. Whereas I'm um, the brains behind the operation. Of course. Hello. <laughs> let's just keep this podcast between us no um one thing that I found oh so one thing that I did was I wrote a a4 like a a web page with links just a page on my web page that was links to information on COVID so in each state where was the very best place to go to get the latest information the first link that you should ever check the second link that you should ever check and who else that you should be following to get your information and that should be your primary source of information and anything that that wavers from that don't listen to it so I put together a list of just the go-to site and I update it regularly I need to update it this today but update it regularly because sometimes you just need a one-stop shop to point you in the right direction and the feedback from that I think one day I had you know 930 visits to the page because people are hungry for that information because they know that they shouldn't be trusting everything they read on the internet. So it's ironic. Wow. I'm putting something up on the internet for people to make sure they're getting the right information from the internet. But I think that's great. I think that process of collating that information is a really important process. Moving on to more of the mum side and yeah. how you service the community of mums that you've developed, what are some ways that new mums, second-time mums, third-time mums, what are some ways that they can take care of themselves both pre and post COVID, particularly if they've got a lot on their plate, like all mums do. But, Mm. you know, what are some ways that you do yourself, but you can advise other people that making sure that they're an important part as well, their mental health is important. It runs the whole family. That's so true. And which again comes back to the, when we say I'm just a mum, it correlates to running a business as well. You're running a similar sort of unit, but actually the stakes can be much higher in a family, as we all know. And we need to be putting that emphasis on that. You're leading, you need to show leadership as a parent all the time. And we don't talk about that enough, but people talk about self-care like it is going out of fashion. It's becoming, you know, the catch cry, but self-care is not a soft skill. Self-care is about survival. And I think more and more people are recognising that, but some people think self-care is about getting your nails done or getting your hair done, which we can't do at the moment, but self-care is is much more than that. What I do, I do really simple techniques because I haven't got the time to lay in a bath for an hour and a half. I haven't got the time to read a book. 
You don't have a bath for starters. Well, we do now, but and that's disastrous because <laughs> we went with a really cheap builder because we spent our money on the sweet set and the new bathroom is actually falling apart. So pray that it doesn't <laughs> rain too much because the roof's leaking. Anyway, back to the mother-in-law. You can have a bath. Just fill it with the rainwater. Yeah, exactly. Environmentally friendly, just freezing cold. <laughs> but um, we're going to Bunnings. I'm going to Bunnings after recording this podcast. So for me, I use really simple techniques so that are really grounding in my body. When things first happened with COVID, I went in very deep and very hard so I could get all the best information so I could serve my community. So I went in deep and that was taking its toll on me. I was feeling really anxious myself. So then I really upped the ante and I meditated. So every night before I went to bed and I need to do a guided meditation because my brain otherwise just goes everywhere. I also did physically grounding meditation. So I tapped my fingers anytime I was getting really overwhelmed. I did the most easy technique ever and it's just the peace starts with me because it's physically grounding and it's a really good mantra. So I use mantras. So that was all about the mental health stuff. I paid attention to what my psychologist who I'd used in the past, what she was doing on her Instagram, and I really followed her advice. I did stop following people who were sprouting ridiculousness. And I actually had to stop having some conversations with some friends who, and I still do it at the moment who um, either think COVID's conspiracy theory or that there's a few fundamental disagreements. So cutting back on those sort of conversations, taking myself out of those conversations. But for me, um, I've got a great GP who says that, the, and he specialises in matriescence and postnatal depletion. And he says the greatest advice that he wishes he could give mothers is that before they became mothers, they learn how to meditate because the research behind the benefits of meditation off the charts. And there are so many different forms of meditation. One of the Peace Be With You emails that I write is about the very different and very simple ways to meditate. People build up meditation to be this really scary, you know, do I have to go on a 14-day silent retreat, which I once did, and it was friggin' horrific. Um, I still have nightmares about it. But for me, meditation can be something like a five-minute practice a day. The other big thing for me and is a really big thing for a lot of mums and particularly personalities like ours, Katie, I've really struggled to ask for help. So in the last month, I've got much better at asking for help from my husband. I've never, ever slept in my, in my life. I feel that sleeping in is a real weakness. I know that's wrong. I've been sleep. I slept in today. Actually, slept into late o'clock today. Up at five with my boys, but then I went back to bed and slept in. And my husband bought me a cup of coffee in bed before he went for a run at eight. That for me is a really, really big deal. It sounds really ridiculous, but I used to get up at five a.m. every morning for a media briefing. So I had my bloods done. This is another thing, like fascinating in motherhood. I had a really deep dive of blood tests after I had boys just to see how after I had my babies just to see the physical because I'm fascinated with all of this so I had a Mm. full blood panel work done my cortisol levels so my stress levels go up at five six seven in the morning and they stay high and then they go down about three now as a political media advisor for years and years and years they were my peak times of work so it's fascinating and that's just my habit so for me having a sleep in asking for help 
and listening to the people who know me best. So I, um, so Jonathan, my husband, will often say to me, you need to go and go for a walk now because I can sit now that he's home and I've got the opportunity to work on the sweet set, I can lock myself away if he's entertaining the boys and I can just work and I could work all day and I could go into the night working because I really love it. I love serving and I love that for my own ego as we talked about before but I I love it because service is at the core of my entire family, my entire upbringing is around you need to work out ways to serve in your life to get value in your life. So I could just do that all day and there's always washing to do. There's always so many loads of washing to do. So there's always stuff to do. So I have to listen to Jonathan when he says, you need to go and go for a walk. I'm like, I don't want to go for a walk. I have no interest in going for a walk. I've got too much to do. And then I go for a walk and I feel 60 million thousand times better. So asking for help, accepting help and listening to the people who know you, I think is, is a really, for me, they're massive. They've been really, really hard things to do. And again, it comes back to being independent for so long um, that I find it really hard mm. to to do that teamwork stuff, but teamwork makes the dream work and we all know it. I've just got to get a little bit better at it. But for me, that is how um, we've been dealing with it. But also routines, so worship at the altar of routine. So the boys have the same routine every day no matter what. So we've got that sort of consistency in our life and I have a routine. So I'll get up and I'll work from 8.30 to 1 or 2 and then we'll do our family things. But um, that's our new routine. So at the start of COVID, we sat down on the Sunday night and talked about our finances and had really tough conversations. So got really clear early on. And then we got really clear on what our routine was going to be. And obviously, there has to be flexibility because you've got two kids under three. And there are some things that need to be done urgently, but clear on a routine. And also, being really kind and and loving and our greatest value in our family is love and showing love. So even when I'm feeling really stressed, when Jonathan's feeling really stressed or when our boys are waking up at five in the morning is always to remind ourselves to be very loving with each other. I love that. I think for those that don't already follow Sally, where can we follow you? I am already number one fan, obviously, but where can people connect with you online? You have such a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of resources to share. Where can people go? Okay. So on Instagram is where I do a lot of my non-owned content. So that's at the sweet set as in the sweet is S-U-I-T-E. So T-H-E-S-U-I-T-E-S-E-T on Instagram. The other thing though is we've got a journal that has probably two content entries a week and that's at our webpage, which is www.thesweetset.com. So um, the journal's updated twice a week. We have uh, information from mums on what they wished they knew before they had children. And we've, we do things like really easy recipes that are fast, that are healthy and that people can do one-handed. So we just try and serve with good information that's not overwhelming. Thank you so much, Sally. You have been a dream. You are a dream. I thought we'd be like having really big laughs in our podcast because usually when we're talking, we're laughing so hard we can't even talk, but we're both very serious today. I know, very serious. I wanted to get down to the good stuff, you know. I didn't want to overwhelm everyone with my with my humour. With your sense of humour? <laughs> Thank you, Sally. Oh, darling, it's lovely to see you. Thanks for having me. 
So I hope you love this episode as much as I loved having Sally on. She really is doing such good things in her space and make sure you do connect with her. And if you want to connect with me, I'm at katiegriffin underscore on Instagram. You can also attend my free Google Ads Masterclass, which is at sundaydigital.com.au forward slash masterclass. And I'd love to hear from you. If you liked this episode, slide into my DMs. Let me know what else you'd like me to talk about and leave a review. That would be really helpful. I will see you on the next episode. Bye.